Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and setup and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Now available in more homes than the PAC12 network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. This is our free ball edition. Dave just coined when we're heading into it. Not really a lot going on. we got a bunch of questions we want to get to, some topics uh, it's out there in Pac-12 world as we count down to Pac-12 Media Day, which will be July 25th. Uh, so we'll just kind of keep them going. We've been doing a show every week. We'll try to keep that going. And if you want to be part of the show, that's preferred. So go to our website, Pac12Podcast.com, if you want to get any of our old shows. But if you want to interact with our current shows, you can email us, Pac12Podcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at Pac12Podcast. And you can call or you can text. And I think we got a text this week, Dave. 424-532-0678 is the number. We need a voicemail on that number, Dave, but I think we did get another text this week after a whole bunch of them last week. Yeah, I think when I when I told people that we can read the transcripts of the voicemails before they get played, I think that dampened down the enthusiasm uh-huh. because previously we had promised people we'll play them, you know, <laughs> no whatever what. the version is of Sight Unseen for listening. Um, and uh, And now we don't do that. So maybe we, I don't know. I don't know if there's a solution to this problem. I think we're probably just going to have to go back to not even reading the transcripts and just telling people, hey, we'll play whatever. So the next voicemail we get, we won't look at. I'll just load it into my machine and just play it. So how's that? This is dangerous. This is dangerous because the last one we got that we edited out was um, not not great. (laughs) Not not great. Um, So... We'll, we'll, we'll think about that policy, <laughs> um, but uh, you guys didn't let us down this week. We got a good amount of questions. Yeah. Nowhere in it with last week's insane show where we had nothing to talk about, but we somehow went for two hours because of all of your crazy questions, uh, but should be enough to pad out a nice little show here. Yeah, we, we have always... nothing else. I mean, like Ryan will talk it up and say we've got topics to talk about and all this kind of stuff. We don't. It's, yeah. it's May... 30th is that the date today yes, Ryan? you are very correct 
May 30th. Um, this is like the nadir of that's a big word. It means like the lowest point, yeah. Ryan. Uh, the nadir of of football in uh, in the long long off season. You know, you get into June, you start to get excited. Maybe oh, the summer's coming around. There's going to be some fall football soon. There's going to be some August camps. You know, somebody's going to break camp at the end of July. There's going to be all that good stuff. May, there's nothing. No. End of May, brutal. Just brutal. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the show. You can tell. Yeah, it's, it's a slow time. Well, how was your – did you have a good Memorial Day weekend? Hopefully it was good. It was great. It was great. Actually, um, so uh, people with small children can relate to this here. Um, the days when they are off school for more time are, are not – they're, they're not relaxing. Like, <laughs> so like you get a Monday off, you got the whole weekend. That's a long time to spend with two small children. And I love my kids, but that's a long, long time. And, uh, I, I think you, the universal thing among parents is that you would almost rather be working, especially with the really small kids. You would almost rather be doing anything else. Wow. But it was fine. It okay. was fine. As far as such things go. But it. Uh, how was your Memorial Day? Why don't you tell me something fun you did? How was Catalina? Catalina was fun. We, it was a little chilly. My wife and I hiked out there. It's about seven and a half mile hike uh, from Two Harbors to Parsons Landing, and uh, we had like 40, 50 pound packs on just to bring all our crap and you know set up the tent and all that stuff and uh, all the beer. It was. We had wine. We didn't really bring beer because we had you had to carry everything. It's just heavy to bring beer. So we had sure. like bladders to bring wine in, but. Uh, it was just it was just kind of chilly a little and pretty windy, uh, but it was fun. Yeah, we had a good time and came back and enjoyed the Hermosa Beach Festival Fair down there, the Fiesta they call it. Um, yeah. Running into our friends that don't have kids that were telling me how hungover they were, so it's very different than your weekend. It sounded like. Yeah. We, no. Yeah. I, I can't actually remember the last hangover I had. <laughs> you know, I never thought I would feel bad about that, but I'm like, man, that's a, that must be a really long time ago. Oh. Well, you know, hopefully everyone enjoyed their Memorial Day weekend. Today's Wednesday. Um, actually, I'm going out of town. We'll have to talk about this, Dave, because I'm going to be in Tennessee next week, like family stuff, my wife's family stuff. So we could potentially do a show, but like you would have to record it and everything. Like, is that going to work? What do we What do we think? I mean, how long are you going to be in Tennessee? Because, For like a week. I mean, if we're being real, we could almost do a show in person. Ooh, that could be. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to talk I mean, about this. All right, now we're now we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we're getting we're getting excited here. Yeah. I think that's just like big eyes delusions of grandeur kind of thing. Yeah, but. there's almost no way I can pull that off from a planning <laughs> perspective. That will involve I can I can so before this show every single week, again, taking you all behind the curtain, I have to text Ryan every single time. So we set a time, right? It's oh, we're going to do it at 5:30 today. Oh, we're going to do it at 2:30 today. Literally every single show at the stated time, I text Ryan five minutes, fifteen minutes. <laughs> uh, might be like half an hour. I don't know. Uh, so for me to actually plan to be somewhere else at a specific time, yeah, specifically another state. Whew. We'll, whew. we'll we'll chat about it offline. We'll work on it and see. Um, yeah. But we'll, we want to try to do it either way. Um, but I will I will be traveling next week with the, the family stuff. So. Uh, well, there's a few topics we can go into first. And if you want to, if you want Pac-12 topics, always go to our buddy, John Wilner's Pac-12 hotline emails. Those are great. 
Um, this is basically the Pac-12 Hotline podcast without John Wilmer. Yeah, we we should definitely have him on more. Um, <laughs> we still don't know who won, you know, like the uh, the draft. No, it, we just didn't seem to get much interest in that. So let us know what you thought about that post two thousand draft. But one of the his the the lead today was about uh, some of the turnover at uh, you know the president spots and chancellor spots at the different universities. There's actually been twenty six president or chancellor changes the number there's been 26 presidents or chancellors at the Pac-12 universities and only 22 men's basketball coaches so there's actually been more presidential change than basketball coaching I thought that was kind of interesting super interesting um and it it was interesting how so he has the whole spectrum so there have been 22 men's basketball coach changes since uh July 2009 uh 26 presidents or chancellors 28 athletic directors and 32 football coaches if I had it like it if you were just thinking off the top of your head, you would have said, oh, coaches, no doubt, those have to be the most turnover. And I would have said presidents, chancellors have to be the least. Like right. I would have guessed there was more or less just purely, you know, mostly the same guys except for like retirements. But um, no, everyone's kind of of a piece. It's it's very strange that there's that much turnover in all of these er- uh, industries and I, I mean obviously the president chancellor situation isn't usually a firing of any sort it's more times a guy moving on or a guy retiring or you know what have you but um, still very interesting that they're all kind of you know just kind of similar maybe it's just the nature of kind of those big executive positions that they're just kind of always turning over in today's economic climate I don't know yeah and and obviously this is sparked from uh, USC President Max Nikias, who we mentioned last week, and I think I said I think he's going to be gone soon, um, if I recall correctly. He's he gone, so he's going to be he's stepping down. Um, so there's actually uh, the, the point here for Pac-12 is there's only three original presidents, chancellors left that were in full support of this uh, Pac-12 network, fully owned business model. So. Max Nikias was one of those, so they, they they lose one more, like one more supporter of Larry Scott. Uh, it will be gone by the wayside. So um, that could be interesting. What you know, John's basically asking you know what it could mean going forward that the people that really uh, backed uh, Larry Scott on this uh, are kind of going away, and there's not that many of them left. It'll be interesting to see the way USC goes because if you're, I mean, obviously it's um, uh, twelve equals in some respect, but you have to imagine USC's opinion about the direction of the Pac-12 is going to hold maybe a little bit more weight than, say, uh, anybody else in the Pac-12. Um, with the reasons for Max Nikias's departure, I, I've got to think the likelihood of USC now hiring somebody who's... Because Max Nikias was hired to kind of clean things up, you know, in the... And he was doing it in some ways, but for kind of to have a scandal... It's hard to see USC going to an even more sports centric guy. It would seem like they will go from even more of a, you know, uh, kind of guy who cleans things up, right? Like, what do you what are you expecting in terms of who they might hire and what implications that might have for the Pac twelve? Yeah, you know, it's I don't really know. There could be an internal hire. They, they're like names like Condoleezza Rice are out there. They could get someone from outside. Um, it's funny. The LA Times had a an, an editorial I just read before this. Uh, one of well, it was one of the USC professors. A lot of the professors came out, uh, the faculty came out, uh, you know, wanting him to step down, but a lot of them supported him too. I mean, he, he put them in, you know, it was like a top 20 university, he raised $6 billion. 
Um, he did a whole, you know, all kinds of things for the, the student body and every, I mean, there's a lot that he did that was positive. Um, but obviously, you know, you're overseeing it when these major scandals are going on. Uh, that's not going to fly, but, um, yeah, they want to overlook all the good that he did. I'm just not sure what direction they're going to kind of go from here. USC typically kind of wants to keep it within house. I don't know. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens. And if the person, like you said, we have no idea if the person's going to really care about the PAC 12 network and being a disaster or just whatever it is now, that's fine. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about all this other stuff. Yeah. Cause it does take a specific kind of, um, I think leader of a university to prioritize athletics because in the grand scheme of it, like if you're just looking at, you know, the dollars and cents compared to endowment, like it's not it's pocket change. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think the amounts of money are that significant to the university's mission, but the brand awareness, the way it drives applications, the way it drives fundraising in other aspects of the university university, it's hard to quantify. And, you know, you look back at, you know, uh, what happened with Texas A&M when they just put together like a 10 win season and suddenly donations to that entire university went through the roof. Um, it, it, it takes a certain kind of executive, but it takes I mean, that's that's just doing your job, I think, uh, as a major power five president or chancellor to prioritize athletics. So it, it'll just be interesting, I think, if um, if USC goes the route of. Because I think Condoleezza Rice, for example, would be somebody who would prioritize athletics because yeah. she clearly has interests across the board um, in terms of you know the college football playoff. The, she was in charge of that committee to provide some you know nonsense uh, recommendations for men's basketball, but <laughs> she clearly has an interest in sports. But um, I can't imagine, given the reasons for Nikias's departure that that's going to be top of mind for USC. Right. But maybe it will. We'll see. Yeah, and Max Akias was on some of those, like, he wasn't on the playoff committee. I forget what it was, but he was on some executive thing for the college football playoff. Like, he was involved in a lot of that stuff, too. So, he'll obviously not be on those boards or whatever they are anymore. I don't remember what they all are, but, um, yeah, we'll see what what USC ends up doing. Uh, There's a couple other notes. You want me to? Sure. Okay, so Washington State. Uh, if you remember Robert Lewis, uh, he's got 100 career catches, more than 100 career catches. He got his sixth year of eligibility. So he's coming back. They got a lot of uh, receivers at Washington State. We're just not sure who's going to throw him the football. But that's a big coup for them, having Robert Lewis, uh, you know, really proven veteran receiver. They'll be back for uh, back for the squad. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think – I could be wrong, and I'm sure, like, one of our stats guys will look back at this and tell me I'm dumb. But, like, I don't think Mike Leach has ever had a – like, has he ever had a year where he didn't get effective quarterback play and have, you know, some wide receiver getting, like, you know, 900 or 1,000 yards? Like, has that ever happened? I probably – I I, 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 I honestly don't know, but I'm remembering like every single year and it always seems like he gets effective quarterback play. I mean, he turned Connor Halliday into a good quarterback. He took walk on Luke Falk and turned him into a good quarterback. And I I have confidence that he's going to be able to find something this year Um, and obviously giving him another experienced weapon at wide receiver. But with those those two positions in Leach's offense just seem like he could plug in. Obviously not you or me but maybe like the more athletic versions of you and me, maybe like you, like, you know, 15 years ago and like 
me like 30 pounds ago, like maybe <laughs> those two could do something. I don't know. It'd be interesting. That would be. Uh, he, yeah, he just seems to know what he's doing there. But yeah, really deep group of receivers. It just makes the North all that much more interesting. And it's already obviously very interesting. Uh, I think in the South, I actually did a um, ESPN radio today in Utah talking about USC and Utah a little bit. But I mentioned Arizona because they're kind of one of my dark horses in the South. And they're going to get a transfer from Texas A&M, Robert Congle. He's an offensive lineman. Not sure if he'll be eligible in 2018, but that's another note from uh, our buddy John Wilner. Cool. Yeah. We actually had a couple tweets and stuff, too. And our buddy Lobo Jangles... Uh, ASU guy. So when we had talked about, uh, so you tweeted something funny. Uh, so someone said, found it interesting. So this was from the dog pen uh, at the dog pen. Found it interesting. You guys rated Wilkins above Browning. Not only are Wilkins stats worse across the board, that doesn't account for a huge injury losses to Washington's wide receivers, tight ends. And the fact that ASU has uh, Nikhil Harry to throw to, and then you replied, and people knew it was you right away. Mm, compelling arguments, uh, compelling arguments. But I'd counter with Manny Wilkins' arm not being made out of low main. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. And then I like to laugh at my own tweets. Yeah, it was. I thought it was great. And then Lobo, and this is when I was gone. I think so. I wasn't around for that one. So you you took over while I was uh, on the island. Yeah, I took over by writing one tweet. Nice. Yeah. Well, it was yeah. good. And then Lo- our buddy Lobo Jangles, uh, he says, takes a lot for these guys to defend an ASU guy. Must be true. Um, I d- Do you think we're too hard on ASU? Um, I, so Lobo Jangles, I like him. He's a good, good, good tweeter, good, good positive uh, responder. I think he gets a little, a little, and this is common among fans, uh, a little bit sensitive about our ASU criticism. We have jumped on the Herm Edwards thing quite a bit. Um I, I don't think we're being oh, – and obviously I'm considering myself the most fair-minded person in the entire world at all times. I don't <laughs> think we're being too unfair with that, but I can see how an ASU fan might think we're hyping, har- harping on it a little too much. Um, so I think that's maybe informing that comment. But look, I, I think I, I think ASU, if, if you took the Herm thing out of the equation, I don't think they're getting talked about enough as a potential South contender. They return a lot from last year. Yeah. Um, and I think Manny Wilkins is going to have a big senior year. Um, I, I just, it's just going to be interesting to see how Herm affects them. But no, I think, I think Manny Wilkins, I've liked him since high school. Um, I liked him as a high school junior. Um, I thought UCLA should have recruited him at that time. I don't even remember who they ended up in that class. I think they ended up with, uh, Aaron Sharp, or maybe it was the year they got Ashanti Woolard. I don't know. It was somebody who was not there anymore, didn't do anything worthwhile, and you know Manny Wilkins is a two-year starter. He's going to be a three-year starter this year, I believe. Um, so yeah, big Manny Wilkins fan. I think he's going to have a very, very nice final year in college. Yeah, and I, I mean Lobo, I don't think. I hopefully we're not too hard on them. I, you know, I was a big fan. I talk about like, hey, if you had to go to school, I think I said, hey, I'd go to Arizona State. I'd go party in Tempe. That'd be fun. Um, but not just about that. But I think. The Herm Edwards thing, yes, we both feel that's going to be uh, a disaster. But I, it's really to the point where everyone says it so much, and I've said this before. It's like part of me is rooting for it not to be the case. You know, like I, my gut feeling is, it's just like, man, this is not going to work out. Oh no, no. See, I, I like train wrecks. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see it on fire, blown up. You know, exploding bridges on its way down into a mall. Like that's what I want to see. 
Well, we might see it. <laughs> uh, I think but we like, will. But who knows? You know, maybe something different happens. My gut, I, I wouldn't bet on it, but um, I don't. I don't think we're trying if, to. If, you know, if you've been if you've been listening to this podcast for a, quite a long time now, um, or just like even the last couple of weeks, um, this wouldn't be the first time I've been wrong. <laughs> Dave's, Dave's really good at that, by the way. He's great at being wrong. Feel, no one feels I, stronger I, about their opinions going in and then, you know, could be more wrong than Dave, I think. No one is more confidently wrong <laughs> in life than I. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, we're not we're not trying to be hard on a, I mean, ASU. I think, you know, it becomes a joke with the Jake Browning stuff. Um, but I like, I, I agree with you. I like Manny Wilkins. Uh, I think there's a lot of pieces coming back. My three is probably still going to be Utah, uh, USC, and, and Arizona. And some people think I'm crazy for thinking Arizona could be in there. And I could be. Who knows? They might be terrible. But my gut is that they could be uh, someone to, to – there's someone to watch for in the South too. Agreed. So was there any other tweets or anything you want to get to or just jump into questions? We can just jump into questions. I don't think there was anything else that came in through the tweeter. All right. Do you want to start you want me to? I will start. Uh, we got Bernie. Uh, this is more of a statement okay. than a question. Uh, Pac-12 podcast. I am writing this as I listen to your podcast on the 24th. You are currently talking about Reggie Bush and improper benefits. I get so tired of hearing that there wasn't any evidence. So here is some. Every summer we go to the lake with my cousin's family. As is our tradition, every year I stop in at Barnes & Noble to get the latest preseason college football magazines my cousin, who is a Stanford graduate, and I debate on the dock. When I was out at the magazine store, I saw a national costume car magazine. On the cover was Reggie Bush's custom Chevy Tahoe. He was standing next to it. I was taken aback by it. How does a sophomore in college get the money to have a car like this? This car's value was well over $100,000. So every time I hear people go on about proof, I just shake my head. So that's one statement, and then he's got his suggestion. Uh, here's my suggestion for your uh, new Pac-12 podcast lead-in, the Pac-12 conference, the walk-on of the Power 5 conferences. Ooh, I that's like actually that. pretty good. I like that a lot. Yeah. Nice and simple. Thanks, guys. Bernie. Um, I'll offer my quick thoughts, and then you can offer um, your more detailed thoughts because you know about this, and I'm just pontificating like a blowhard. Um I don't know the specifics of Reggie's financial situation from his family. I don't know the specifics of this cover. I don't want to talk in specifics. Generally, um, yeah, there's a lot of cheating going on in college sports. Guys end up with cars that they should. Um, if you ever want to read a really good um, article about the bag man, um, I think it's Stephen Godfrey's The Bag Man is, uh, is, is the story. And it talks about how, you know, a lot of, boosters have relationships with dealers and they do it in some way that's not easily trackable and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that happens all over the country at like, I'm not going to say every school, but lots of schools, like lots of schools, guys end up with cars they can't afford. They end up with at a lower level. They end up with meals they can't afford. They end up with lots of stuff they can't afford. Um, and I don't, I, I just, I, I think it, you know, I, the USC thing, I don't I, I honestly don't know enough specifics about it to talk about it like educatedly, but everybody is cheating at some level. I've made that point last <laughs> week. Everybody is. Um, I think when we get too excited about it, um, it, it it's not uh, like no one is clean. No one is perfectly clean. Um, and, you know, 
whether USC was doing it in some more egregious way, maybe I have no idea. Um, but everyone can agree the SEC does it worse than everybody else. They're cheating harder, and that's why they win so many championships. Yeah. The end. The uh, it's funny. So the only like stuff that I like saw, I remember. I think so it was probably my senior year. I might have been in grad school. I don't know, but Jason Seahorn, who was a cornerback, he ended up playing for the Giants for a lot of years. Um, he, I remember like going, th- like we were walking through the parking lot and there was like a brand new Porsche. Now I think this was when he was done. So he could have had an agent at that point or whatever, but it was like this brand new Porsche and you could see the name on it said like Jason Seahorn. I'm like, Oh, that's nice. You know, um, my understanding about Reggie Bush's thing, first of all, I've never known a Chevy Tahoe that was worth a hundred over, well over a hundred thousand dollars. Like, I don't know what you would have to do, make it out of gold or something. It, it was a, believe it was a, what he had was an Impala. And then during the the trial recently, I know Todd McNair called it trash. It was, and after I know that was fixed up and stuff after he got out of school, um, but it was like an older model Impala, so it wasn't like, for my understanding, it wasn't some crazy thing. So I didn't know about this magazine or or this. I've never heard the car being worth that much money, um, but that's kind of what it was. And the NCAA made a point of that one, and they were even saying that in the trial, talking about this and. And the, there was definitely a refutes on the other side saying, no, this was this was an old trashy car. It wasn't like some custom made whatever. But that that was my understanding. I don't know enough details, that, nor do I. I don't care a whole lot. But that that's what my thing was, Bertie. That's what I knew. I didn't know about any Tahoe being worth over a hundred thousand dollars. I didn't know any Tahoe ever being worth over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, and that like, and we're talking about football cheating right now too, which is like. I mean, it's so innocent and nice compared to what goes on in basketball, like (laughs) where there's a literal FBI investigation going on right now because of how seedy and illicit it is. Um, If you think like so. um, All right. So, yeah, whatever. Maybe USC was cheating a little bit harder than everybody else. I don't know. But everyone in basketball is cheating harder than anybody in football. Like everybody. (laughs) It's incredible. Um, So. Yeah. This is fun. But thanks for like, that one, Bernie. I like I like college sports. It's great. It's a really yeah. equitable distribution of money that doesn't require any kind of black market dealings whatsoever. No. Um <laughs> you, want <me> to, <laughs> you want me to go on to uh Steve's? Yeah, let's let's move right along. To dinner. Um so he said, Hey guys, one quick clarification before I get to my question. Last week you were asked who the best and worst football and basketball coaches were for UCLA and USC since two thousand. In discussing the candidates, there was one coach that you missed. Rick Majerus was gainfully employed <laughs> for five whole days at USC's as USC's basketball coach in 2004. My question: Well, I should I should actually say right there, um, UCLA's winningest football coach of all time with the best winning percentage was Ed Kazarian, who coached the Las Vegas Bowl in 2002 and won. Oh. Um, and so he should probably be in the conversation as well. I, I think that one game, and probably Jed Fish as well, um, that probably puts them both above Rick Neuheisel as well. <laughs> was Ed the was he the towel guy? The towel. Guy? He was the towel waiver. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was great. Where is he now? Is he he retired or? I think he's retired. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he's. I think he retired shortly thereafter. I mean, he'd been at UCLA for a long time. Okay. Like, I think he was, I, I can't remember, honestly, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think he was like an assistant strength coach for a long time and then it's moved on from there. Was he like a well-liked 
Because I know people made fun, like oh, the, yeah. the towel waving and everything. People whatever. loved him, and he was like, he, I mean, he was everything the towel waving thing was. I mean, he was like that high energy guy. So um, no, I think he was very much loved on the team. All right, cool. Um, I guess I'll, I guess we'll continue on. My question: One of your emails last week uh, asked which three coaches you'd like to have a beer with. That had me thinking: Why limit to just coaches and just drinking, and just the living? Okay. <laughs> Let's, let's blow this out. Uh, if, you, if you could have a steak dinner at Musso and Frank's with any three Pac-12 personalities, living or dead, who would they be? Um, oh, wow. So he's, I think he, well, so because he said, what, uh, would one of them be a personable and entertaining former player like Marshawn Lynch, Steve Smith, or Clay Matthews, or maybe a legendary coach like John Wooden, Pete Carroll, Rick Neuheisel? Rick Neuheisel, yes. Or maybe even someone who wasn't an athlete or coach, but an individual who is an important world figure that is involved with their alma mater's athletic program, such as Phil Knight or Condoleezza Rice. Or, and I apologize if this is a mischaracterization, but maybe Dave would be most entertained by a dinner that is full of tension bordering <laughs> on train wreck. So maybe Jim Harbaugh and Pete Carroll or Mike Leach and Todd Graham or Larry Scott and the faceless CEO of DirecTV. <laughs> Uh, either way, I'd vote for the third dinner guest in any of those pairings to be Bill Walton, if only to provide commentary of that evening's festivities. Thanks for the mildly entertaining <laughs> podcast, Steve uh, in Salt Lake. Wow. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, adding Walton in is definitely a must. Um I, I, sticking to UCLA, I mean, getting Red Sanders in there would be fun. Um, he sounds like he liked to party, seeing as he, I think, died in a hotel room. Um, who would be third? Who would be third? I mean, I, I don't know. So, like, the thing is, I don't know if John Wooden would be a ton of fun. No, yeah, probably not. I mean, he might be. He, seemed, he was a pretty quick-witted guy, but... I don't know if he's the guy you go to steak dinner with. Yeah. I mean, you would like want to pick his brain and stuff, but like. Yeah. I, I, like he's the guy you want to like maybe go get a cup of coffee with one morning when yeah. you're feeling like sprightly. I think uh, like a, like a, for me, like a John McKay or someone would be interesting. Like those guys back in the day would go out and drink, like go to places like this with the college football media, like the local media yeah. and get drunk together and like. That would be kind of fun, like one of those older school coaches when, like, different times, you know? Like, I think from, like, a Pete Carroll, you'd get, like, the rah-rah company. Like, I don't think you'd get the same kind of stuff you'd get from, like, a John McKay, like one of the older guys, you know? Yeah. Or, like, I Terry Donahue think, or something. Uh, Rick, you know? Rick Neuheisel would be a ton of fun. He would play the guitar? He'd be a ton of fun. It would just be – honestly, I think he'd be he'd be a great guy to go get dinner with, but – Yeah. Uh, I don't know why don't you started, you're so just, down I just don't. Him. I just don't want him within 100 miles of a football program, but – we have um, to get him on as a guest, so I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. <laughs> like, listen to these shows where Ryan says I like Rick and Dave says he's the worst, and then we can have him on. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. That sounds that sounds fantastic. Stephen Salt Lake, right. though. Hopefully, you listen to uh, ESPN 700. Bill Riley, I was on with him today, so that's mm -hmm. he's in Salt Lake. So, do you listen mm -hmm. to Bill Riley's show? That he I was on a guest there today. So, all right, cool, very yeah. cool. Uh, anyway, so what other, any other kind of, there was, oh man, uh, crap. I read this book 
Now I'm blanking on. Hold on, I might have it behind me. One second. I got my bookshelf behind me, so I got to look. This is it's just great radio. Uh, it is. Uh, son of a. I don't. Oh, the steamer. Okay. Bud Ferrillo. So Bud Ferrillo is a longtime L.A. sports columnist, um, and uh, his son, uh, who had actually like was a member of our site, like they followed USC. He's a he's a newspaper columnist up in Sacramento right now. But he sent me this book that he it was kind of his dad's memoirs, and he took it over and wrote over in uh, uh, the heater. Was it the heater? I forget what the. I'll, I'll look at it real quick, but. Um, someone like that who was like a, a drinker going out covering boxing, college football, you know, he'd cover Wood and he'd cover McKay. He'd cut, co- you know, all the stuff that was going on in LA, lots of boxing, uh, you know, ram- everything that was going on. And he would go out, you know, all hours of the night, drinking, smoking, writing, fraternizing with the people you're covering. Like someone like that would be super interesting. Yeah, that would be a ton of fun. Um, oh, the steamer. It's the steamer. That's what they. So the steamer. Yeah. Before okay. your time, look him up, Bud Ferrillo. So he was a big Bud LA. Ferrillo. Yeah. Yeah. So, I uh, I've got nothing else. I've got nothing else in response to this. I think I would go Red Sanders, Bill Walton. I'll just make it a UCLA thing. I'll go Red Sanders, Bill Walton, and uh, ah, screw it. I'll, I'll I'll add Wooden. That's fine. All right. Um, the, the first, uh, on the back cover of the book, the first guy who wrote anything was Bill Walton. Hey. Yeah. He said, in 1972, I trusted Bud Ferrillo to tell my story over the years. He got it better than perfect. So that was, uh, so yeah. So someone like that, like a media guy, I would love to add to a player or coach or things because it was so different back then, you know, the way things were covered. Yeah. Now you get, you know, 15 minutes of access at the beginning of the week. (laughs) <laughs> at 10 a.m. Um, right. right. You don't get to go Ready drinking with these guys. Ready for Hithla days? Yeah. Okay. All right. Spills and spoils. Uh, last week, David mentioned that he'd finished reviewing UCLA's upcoming opponents. Since that includes both Arizona and Texas A&M, not so. The Bruins do not play Texas A&M this year. They only play Arizona. It seems like you're in a good position to comment on who got what in those divorces. For examples, are there any returning players at either school that the new staff won't know what to do with or coaches who were retained but aren't a good fit for the program? Any predictions on what's going to be different about those rematches? Um, I don't have any thoughts on Texas A&M because I haven't looked at them because UCLA is not playing them. But the Arizona one, um, uh, going against Mazzoni again is going to be interesting. Um Obviously, UCLA has changed over its coaching staff, so there's maybe the lack of coaching familiarity with him, but Chip Kelly obviously coached against him when Mazzoni was at Arizona State. Um, So I think there will be some measure of familiarity from a scheme perspective. I think Khalil Tate's actually going to fit nicely into Mazzoni's scheme. Um, I I don't see that being a tremendously difficult fit. Mazzoni was willing to run the quarterback when he had Brett Hundley, so I'm sure he'll be willing to do it again when he has an even better running quarterback in Tate. Um, so I think all of that should work out pretty well for Arizona. Um, I think offensively they'll be uh, probably a little bit more balanced than they were under Rich Rod. Um, and uh, defensively, I don't think they'll change all that much. I think they might get a little bit better because they were so young this past year. But I think offensively they'll be – Maybe a little bit more consistent, a little bit more balanced. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know necessarily if it'll uh, change too much. I mean, I think it'll still be an offensive dominant team, 
um, and a little lackluster on defense, but I think they'll improve there this year. Um, and then he says, I was a little surprised a couple of weeks ago that you boys didn't take the bait when I suggested Noel Mazzoni might be the best play-calling OC in the Pac-12, since it seems neither of you can get away from him, even though he's had four jobs in eight years. From what I heard, most UCLA fans didn't care for him during his time in Los Angeles, but maybe that's just because the native mode of all Bruins is onanistic complaint. So, Ryan, do you know what that means? No clue. Onanistic. That's a good one. Uh, Masturbatory, um, where it's just self-referential, like navel-gazing, just pure self-flagellation and has no importance or value. So basically, yes, the way UCLA fans complain about stuff. Um, (laughs) So uh, I wouldn't say that UCLA fans didn't care for him. I would say he, um, and I think this has happened at many of his stops, um, he kind of wore out his welcome over the, whatever it was, four years he was there. Um, He has a really, really effective scheme that's almost plug and play. It only takes him a spring and he'll have uh, a team ready to, you know, put up 38 points a game and generate 500 yards of offense a game and all that good stuff. Um, but it tends to sputter. And this is true of most offenses, but perhaps more so among Mazzoni's. It tends to sputter to the point of like, wow, this is laughably bad against more athletic defenses um, and better defenses, obviously. Um and over the long run, um, anecdotally, but he really struggled to um, adjust to what certain defenses were doing. There was maybe some recalcitrance on his part to adjust um, outside of his offense. And there was a theory among UCLA fans that it was because his um, offense is something he sells online. Um, I mean, it's an offense he sells to high school um, uh, football programs. So I think he probably wanted to use you know, obviously those, those college performances as kind of brand proof. Yeah. Um, and so he was less likely to want to adjust away from certain things that he, you know, has obviously patented as these things work. Um, and there were just certain things that I think PAC 12, uh, defenses learned what he liked to do and they, they shut it down more over the course of his years. Um, in particular, a few teams, you know, Stanford had a lot of success and an inordinate amount of success against Mazzoni's offenses that I, obviously Stanford's had some good defenses, but it, it seemed like it was even more so, um, with UCLA and given the, the, especially given the amount of talent UCLA had offensively at times there. Um, so, I think it was more nuanced than they just weren't a fan of him. Um, I think it was more he had a good first two years, and then I think some of the warts started to show. And if you ask ASU fans, they'll probably tell you the same thing, where he started out good, and then it just became – and I think they their main complaint was, you know, it became swing past you. Um, with UCLA, I think it would be more um, those dreaded zone reads that weren't actually zone reads where it would just be a handoff, but it would be this really slow developing handoff. Um, So there were just, there's just a couple of things that I think, and I don't know that he is um, it's, it's funny. I I don't know that I would necessarily call him the best play calling OC, but I don't know who else would be a candidate, but his play calling can definitely fall into um, it seems like it almost gets single-minded at times. Like he gets a little bit stubborn with it. And I think this is again, true of a lot of play callers, but he, like there were a couple of Utah games where he must've tried to run the ball at a, you know, strong stout front seven 
like 50 times and just nothing generating. And they win like an ugly 24, 21 game. And it's like, you know, after the game he was, you know, yeah, we had to play a tough one. And it's like, no, you kind of didn't. You just ran the ball 50 times for no apparent reason against a tough run defense. So that's a long rant about Nolmazoni. I've got some, uh, some, you know, I've got some things I still need to work out there. Apparently. apparently. Yeah. We can do that in therapy (laughs) at some point. But, you know, I think the key, though, what you're talking about, that typically this isn't an offense that it starts working in year three. This is something that kind of gets going right away. And that kind of, you know, buys into my theory a little bit of what I think this Arizona team can do with with a dynamic quarterback and some pieces coming back and a, and a young defense that looks like it's doing well. Uh, you know, new-blooded head coach and, and Noel Bazzoni maybe getting them going and getting this offense to really shine, and we've seen him be able to throw five touchdowns in a game or and run for five touchdowns. I mean, there's a lot to, to work there, to work with there for him. Um, if he gets everything, the pieces in the right place, and get it rolling. I think this is a team that can surprise some people uh, in the South. So you know, the fact that it's not something that's going to take a while to get going, I think UCLA might take a while to get going. I think Arizona State. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't see it like clicking everything right away, you know, making changes on one side of the ball, not the other. But for Arizona, I just kind of feel like they might be able to hit the ground running and 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 do good things right away. I agree. Um, okay, so when you use uh, onanistic in an email, why would you capitalize it? And does that take away from you're using the the big 25-cent word if you put a uh, ill-advised capital letter to start so, this word? So Onan or Onan, or I don't know how you pronounce his name, but he's actually a biblical character. Uh, Ryan. So it's actually you should capitalize it. Yeah, he's book of Genesis. So I know a lot of you know a lot of Protestants. They're not they're not really spending a whole lot of time with their Old Testament. But uh, he's a he's a a, a Genesis character. Um, I believe he's in some way related to Judah. Oh, but yeah. I think you would still use it as you still you wouldn't capitalize it though, right? <sighs> Well, I mean, that's his name. I, I think when you're, I mean, at, at this point, probably not. I would think onanistic would be uh, lowercase yeah. because it's describing the, and I, I'm sure that's, yeah, I would say, I would I would opt for not capitalizing. I generally opt for, unless it's an absolute given proper name, I generally don't go with capitalization. All right. It just looks a little funky. Um, so, but yeah, you should read the story. Um why this is uh, essentially referred to as masturbatory complaint. I'll, I'll check it out. It's worth it's worth reading. Nice. All right. Um, we got one from Justin. He says, putting the Durrell-Neuheisel debate to rest. This should be good, I think. Um, hey there, Ryan and Dave. This is Go UCLA 05 from the bro board again. Got a couple of things for you guys this week. So number one, he has uh, three things listed here. In regards to my email from a few weeks ago where I described my theory about Larry Scott's women's tennis background influencing the Pac-12 emphasis on providing coverage to all of the non-revenue sports. <sighs> okay, that was a long sentence. I might, it's still going. I might not have made myself clear, but I just wanted to know how plausible an explanation you two thought it might be. Holy hell. That was a really long, that was all one sentence, number one. Um... Is he asking us to remember it? I, like, yeah, is he there's us like to remember his email from last from a few weeks ago. Yeah. Not even last week. I don't remember exactly what was brought up, uh, and he said oh, I might not man. have made myself clear, but he didn't really. 
he didn't really provide any clarity yeah. here in this in this specific email. So I'm going to stand by it's whatever as if people we... aren't even listening to the show because I can remember, and this is a rarity for me. I can remember distinctly saying last week, I don't remember anything. <laughs> and you're asking me here right now. In front of God and everybody, in front of Ryan, in front of you, in front of me, in front of everyone, to remember something from three weeks ago? No. Yeah. Under um, no circumstances. I'm On to st- number two here. I'm going to stand by whatever we said a couple weeks ago. I have no yeah. idea what it was, but that's what I'm standing by. Okay, number two. This is addressed to me. Ryan, as impressed as I have been with your knowledge of UCLA sports, it's time to finally put to rest the debate over who was worse, Carl Durrell or Rick Neuheisel. So here we go. I firmly believe that genuinely well-coached teams do not get blown out of games, even games in which they are at a distinct talent advantage. Uh, Probably means disadvantage, I think. Coaches who are doing a genuinely good job always find a competitive team regardless of subpar talent. Therefore, looking at how often a team gets blown out is a quick and easy method for judging how good of a job the coach is doing. In this case, I heard on the conservative side uh, and defined a blowout loss as a margin of 21 points or more. That is a, that's a blowout. Yeah, uh, that's so <laughs> the fact that you could go up that high and like get data, that's pretty good. Uh, so go oh, you, you clearly haven't been following UCLA football for the last <laughs> uh, couple decades. So going by that metric, Carl Durrell suffered a total of five blowout losses during his five years in Westwood, an average of one blowout per season. Slick Rick, on the other hand, suffered... <laughs> 16 blowout losses during his four-year tenure, an average of four blowout losses per season. So here we have it, empirical evidence that Rick Neuheisel was not only worse than Durrell, but probably four times worse, huh? Uh, by the way, if you lower the, the blowout threshold to 14-plus points, a number that a lot of people said is a blowout threshold, then Neuheisel suffered 22 blowouts while coaching the Bruins. The moral that of the story— would be 22 of his 29 total losses at UCLA by 14 yeah well if you're gonna lose lose big like why yeah i mean if you're gonna lose do it well right lose lose the losingest way you can lose glorious lose 50 to nothing to lane kiffin that's about as (laughs) glorious as you can get okay the moral of the story is that while we he certainly was a nice guy and a good guitar player rick duhazel was absolutely atrocious during his time as ucla head coach so i'm still kind of split on this i'm still split Uh, I would say my man has redeemed himself after his uh, horrific attempt to make us remember things in the first <laughs> one. That I mean, that when you look at it that way, for sure. So w- when we get Rick on, we're gonna have to like read that to him. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to read him every. We'll have to like provide him a transcript of everything I've said about him too. Was Carl Durrell just more of a kind of like nothing was too exciting? He wasn't. They weren't gonna win exciting or lose exciting. Uh, yeah. I mean, his offense was dreadful. Um, he had to basically. Um, relinquish it to Tom Cable to get even anything remotely good out of it. Um, he tried to bring this NFL West Coast offense to uh, college, and it just it was that time when a lot of guys were trying to do that. I think Bill Callahan was doing it at Nebraska, and it was just falling flat on its face basically everywhere. And he tried to do it, and that didn't work. Um, and I think he was learning on the job in a lot of ways. I mean, he'd only – the highest – coaching position he'd ever had was a wide receivers coach for the Denver Broncos and he was like 40 when he got the job so he's just I think he was a little in over his head to start out with I think he grew into it a little if this was the 1950s or 1960s and nobody gets fired after five years he might have turned into a 
decent enough head coach 10 years down the road from when he was fired, but you just can't do that. Um, and there's, that's pure speculation. Um, I don't, there, there were moments where he, you know, where it was like, Oh, maybe this could, maybe this is going to turn out. Okay. Um, like the 13 to nine win over USC. That was a good USC team. Um, and they shut him down defensively. He, you know, he'd hired a good defensive coordinator. Like he was showing some signs. Um, but ultimately I think his just offense was crippled and he wasn't willing to go away from it. Um, and until he would, until he would be able to do that or evolve offensively, I, I just don't, you know, I just don't know that he was, would have ever been the guy. And yeah. frankly, it's probably worked out better for, for UCLA for sure. Not to obviously hang on to him for 10 years. I mean, whatever you, th- I mean, Rick Neuheisel was a ton worse, but getting three good years out of Jim Mora, I mean, that's probably better than anything Darrell would have done in the, ensuing 10 years yeah and it's a head scratcher because usually when you go out and hire like an nfl wide receiver coach you think you're gonna get hit a home run you know? <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't even let you finish it was so good <laughs> <laughs> all right so okay so three says lastly here's an idea for another series you could do with the publishers of the other schools in the pac-12 oh man series and involving everyone else i don't like the no. way this is turning out Okay. Oh, actually, this is pretty good. Going back to the year 2000, who were the three most important recruits signed by each of your respective programs and why? And who were the three recruits each of your programs just missed out on that you think would have made the biggest impact? And I'm referring to recruits that your program actually had a chance at, not just ones uh, that would have been nice to have, but have no real, that had no real interest in your program. That's actually kind of interesting. Um and that's that's content we could do for like all the sites uh, on there, you know, and 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 get people's thoughts on. It. I thought that'd be kind. Of, I don't know. What do you think about well, that one, Dave? It sounds it sounds pretty good. Um, it's a little recruiting heavy for me. Um, oh, considering yeah. how much I hate recruiting as a person who has worked for a recruiting website for you know going on seven years. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, no, job. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, you know, like big, you know, just big time. Um, so it, it would. It would involve us. I mean, we can. Eat. This is good though, because we. This is like an email to everybody. Like, hey, who would these guys be? Um, and you know, we'll see. You know, who would respond back? But that's something we could definitely do. Yeah, and, I uh, think that would be worthwhile. Maybe we could do is we've gotten a few of these, and I think there was another good one a couple weeks ago. We could maybe compile it all, email everybody. Hey, we need to know what the you know what the best way to watch a game is we need to know this we need to know that and we can get them all to like give like a two-minute response that has all that stuff yeah are you oh you're thinking like voicemail over just like have them email us back i would think so i don't know that this is enough to carry an entire show okay like if we did i mean i think we could do this as a full show where we get you know all 12 to respond but i don't know that i don't know that it's enough for a single show to just do like oregon and oregon states like top three recruits right no, 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 not individual ones. Uh, but, but I wasn't sure if they could. I think they could just simply email us back, and we could read them. Oh, or... now, now you're. But now you're talking about a lot of reading, and that's not necessarily our strong suit, as a lot of our <laughs> listeners know, who have to suffer through our our reads of these emails. We need an intern to like read our stuff. Like, we need like somebody with a real announcer voice. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Um, side note, real quick. I got some. You know, sometimes we'll get emails. Uh, people like wanting to how do you succeed in this industry and blah, blah, blah. And I usually try to respond and be nice and, and give them some ideas. I'm sure Dave never writes them back, but 
Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to go for a much harsher burn there, <laughs> which is I'm sure Dave never gets those emails. Because no. <laughs> <he's>... <laughs> no, I would think you get them, but you're just like, yeah. That got... would have been a much harsher and better burn. <laughs> but this one's more true. Like, I think if you got one, like you might have intentions of writing them back, but you probably wouldn't. That was my guess. It depends on the time of day. Okay. It's I, I kind of like it every once in a while when you can help. But anyway, so this kid sent me, he's like an SEC country, uh, whatever, would follow the shows. I think he actually was listening to the Pac-12 one too. But, and so then he sends me a thing. I said, yo, you should start your own like YouTube channel, you know, start your own podcast, do things like that. You know, just be a voice and tweet, whatever, you know, getting to do their own thing while, while they're building up their craft. And so he sends me like a link to it and I go to the video. He has... Like the best, he's like this 19-year-old kid or something, like the best radio voice. I, I wrote back like, oh my God, you have the best voice. Like whatever, just be smart and you're going to be good. Like don't worry about it. It was awesome. So maybe we could get him to intern and like and read our questions and stuff. That'd be great. That'd be great, especially this next question. This, well, uh, well, he says, as always, keep up the fantastic work, Ryan and Dave. You guys have been killing it week in and week out on the POC. Thanks for that, great. Justin. Thank you. Um, oh yeah, wow! Can, we get that? can you can you call that guy right now I'm to read going, this yeah. next one? There are lots of words. There's lots of numbers. This is bonkers. <laughs> All right, eighty nine Ute. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. Uh, but the, I, if I don't read all the words, look, we all understand. Under this, protest. I, I can't even explain to all of you out there how many words are in this email. Um, <laughs> all right, Michael. All right, he says. Utah Stadium expansion and the future of in-game attendance. Yeah. Ryan and Dive, <laughs> I have no clue what this week's show is going to be about, and you guys probably don't know either. <laughs> we you still had to don't. Have been, we have no idea. We're an hour in. Uh, you had to have been pretty happy manufacturing an entire show out of answering emails, texts, and tweets. It wound up being a good show. I enjoyed it. So now that you've established, you'll talk about anything from which – Coach you'd like to drink beer with to conference relegation, I have a topic for you to tackle. How many seats should Utah add to its stadium? 12,420. I'm good with that. Okay. Um, oh, I, I know you don't know, but Utah is about to renovate Rice-Eccles Stadiums. The end of April, the voice of the Utes, Bill Riley, tweeted, Chris Hill tells me that there should be announcements on design and numbers of seats for Rice-Eccles expansion within six months. The debate has been raging for many years. Ute fans are frustrated that expansion has not already happened. The current streak of sellouts is 51 games. Average attendance in 2017 was 45,913. Capacity is 45,807. Hmm, those don't don't equate. Uh, Huge games will often pull in an extra 2,000 standing room only fans. Below gives you a little idea. Basically, every game ever is over like 46,000. Yeah. Um, and then he lists a lot of the other schools and how um, most other schools are below capacity. Oregon is over capacity. Um, uh, Stanford is close to capacity. Colorado is close to capacity. Utah is over capacity. Um, but the, the general rule of thumb here is that nobody, USC is the highest and they're at 72,000, which is 21,000 under uh, the Coliseum's capacity. But everybody is right around, like, I think the median here would be something like 52 or 50, yeah. 51 or 55. Looks about right. Um, so nobody's averaging a ton. Um, I would think, so Utah's at 45 right now. I would add a clean 10,000. 
get up to where you know Oregon ish is and set it there and have it be capped because you don't want to you don't want to reduce demand for the seats like you don't want to make it so that you know they become a less hot ticket you want them to be a little bit in demand a little bit hard to get um, but you also want to you know accommodate some more fans and I think looking at the other fan bases here that probably makes the most sense I don't think you need to go up to seventy um, no I don't because I don't know. I, I know UW, I think a lot of UW alums stay in the Seattle area. I don't know if a lot of you, I mean, I'm sure some, I'm sure a lot do stay in the Salt Lake City area. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think going up to 70 would be the smart move. I would do like some incremental thing, go up 10,000 this year and then reassess in the future. Um, I don't know how feasible that is, but yeah, I would go up to 55. Yeah, I mean, I love the way Stanford did it. I think that's a great size for the stadium. USC is actually going to bump theirs down to like 77,000. So um, in 2019, they'll, they'll have a lot less capacity, which upsets some people. But, you know, you see what the average attendance is. Um, it's more like that. It's just really for the bigger games. They like to have more seats. But I think for Utah, and you got the the, the streak of selling out games. So there's definitely, you can put more. I mean, there's no question you can put more. You don't want like you don't want like Dave said put it so you're not going to come close to selling out you know if you're only selling out like a couple big games a year you don't want to go there, um, I I think in the fifty five to sixty thousand range would be good I could I could even go over ten, um, I think fifty eight thousand something like that you could do, even sixty um, I think Utah would be able to, uh, take that in I I probably wouldn't go any higher than than sixty I'm I'm not sure what the plans are I guess they haven't announced it yet but. Um, yeah, I would go between 55 and 60. So he, he then goes on to say, and this is maybe providing the devil advocate, the devil's advocate position. Um, he says um, he, he's kind of concerned that the other schools are under capacity with higher um, capacities, obviously. Um, yeah. And he says, if I'm the AD of Utah, this concerns me a lot. A handful of three to five win seasons in Utah could be in Cal, Oregon State and Washington State land. And all three of those are well below capacity. Well, Washington State's not, but their capacity is only 35,000. Um, also, think about the future of viewing sports in person compared to staying home and watching all the games in your home theater. When doing this expansion, I think you need to consider what the landscape will be 25 to 30 years from now. Are crowds going to be smaller? ASU, Cal, and Stanford recently shrunk their stadiums. Expanding kind of sounds a little crazy. We're already seeing Little League football enrollments shrinking. Is CTE going to continue to gain traction? Parents don't want their kids playing football. Some high schools are already dropping football. I'm seeing lacrosse being played at my neighborhood high school. Didn't see it last year, but now I do. Is this the next big thing? I doubt lacrosse is going to fill these Pac-12 stadiums 30 years from now. Will the attendance figures you see above be the same 30 years from now? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't hear expansion chatter out of Oregon. Why? Um, Oregon, I don't know the particulars, but they're already at 54,000, and that's actually a pretty nice size for a lot of these newish stadiums. Like Stanford's at 50,000, and I don't like – I don't see obvious places where Stanford would need to or want to expand that stadium. Um, at 45, I think there's, you know, probably some reasonable spaces to just add some seats. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the the projections ahead, you've got to factor that in in some respect. But football is only growing right now. Um, I, the decline would have to be so swift, um, and I just don't see it happening. Youth football is declining um, in certain neighborhoods and not in others. And I don't know at what point football itself as a sport ceases to be like the kind of pervasive college experience that it is for a lot of these places. 
but I can't imagine that timeline's anything less than, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Um, it just, it doesn't seem like it's, it doesn't seem like the issues are progressing apace the way we might have thought six or seven years ago when the CTE thing started to become like a really big, you know, issue. Because um, I think there were a lot of people writing death of football arguments six years ago, and it really hasn't come to pass. Um, yeah, some high schools, I think, have stopped insuring uh, their football teams, but I don't even know that for sure, and I don't know at what level that's happening. And youth football is declining, but people are still signing their kids up for football uh, in a lot of different areas. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm not – if you're asking me on like the 30 to 50-year time frame whether I think football is still going to be like a super – like the this huge monstrous sport, um, I'd probably doubt it. But on the, you know, on the lower end of that, the 15 to 30-year range – I, I think it's still going to be a, a going concern and something that'll generate revenue. So yeah, I think the 10,000 seats, I think that's going to generate significantly more revenue over the next five to 10 years. And then, you know, at that point, we'll yeah. see whether or not it turns into something where you regret it. Yeah. I mean, even if say, say you knew football was going to go away in like 13 years, like just going away, like you could still expand to 55,000 or whatever, and it would be, still be worth it, you know? So I don't think you can worry about, What's football going to do? Now, declining attendance is real. It's happening in the SEC where you're as passionate as you get because it's so much easier to do everything from home. So I think part of the uh, renovations and expansion, you have to do Wi-Fi. You have to make it so it's easier to be, you know, do all the crap that you like to do on social media and everything in the stadium. So if you're in a stadium for five hours and you can't tweet anything out or post on your Instagram, like it's not people are going to go, you know, so you have to make that part of it. Um, my guess is they're probably going to do like 55,000 and be fine, you know, and, um, you know, maybe try to be a little bit bigger than Oregon, maybe go to 56, I don't know, something like that. But, you know, to be third, fourth in attendance, I don't think is out of the question. I mean, I think there's a, a passion for it and Utah has been really good. And if they break through, um, and actually win the South, uh, you know, it's going to peak interest even more, you know, that's. They've just always been on the outside looking in, getting you know finishing second or third or whatever. You finish first, and and who knows when the Pac-12 um, that expansion starting to look pretty good. Yeah, and I, I'd be interested to know the. I mean, because a lot will factor in is how much the expansion itself costs. You know, if it's exorbitantly expensive, if they do some dumb stuff like Cal did, where it costs like a billion dollars or whatever, then yeah, probably don't do it. But if it's you know, something reasonable where they're renovating this kind of broken down section and they can add 10,000 seats without, you know, breaking the bank in a huge way. Um, you know, if we're talking something on the order of tens of millions or even a hundred million, but if we're talking like, you know, huge chunks of money, like, you know, what you would need to build like a pro stadium, then no, of course don't do that. But, um, I mean, obviously you'd want to do the economic analysis, but I think it, from a pure revenue standpoint, I mean, just looking at these numbers, I, I have a hard time seeing them not making up a reasonable cost for the renovation pretty quickly. Yeah. All right. Should we move on or? Yes, please. Was that... Uh, thanks. That was, that was actually good. And, uh, it was not unreadable. So thank no. you. He mentioned Bill Riley, who I just, uh, that's the guy who was on his show today too. So I, apparently he's the voice of the Utes. I didn't even know that. There you go. Um, he says, hey, guys, thank you. So this is a text question we got. It's actually a series of them. But, hey, guys, thank you for a very good podcast last week. Keep it up. Only two more months until fall camp. My questions are, okay, so there's three questions here. Uh, what are the funniest recruiting stories you can share from covering your 
respective teams. Man, I'm not good at coming up with these things off the top of my head. You, you, anything come to mind I'm, for you? I, I am horrendous at this. Um, I think I've shared the one fun one on here before, but I'll share it again. Um, UCLA and USC were both recruiting Brian Price, uh, the defensive tackle. I believe he was from Crenshaw. You remember this? Uh, yeah, I think it was Crenshaw. Man, but I, I'm not 100% sure, though. Eric Scott, who was a UCLA wide receivers coach, um, was a friend of the family. And he had been invited over, I believe, to Brian Price's on the same day that USC was having their in-home visit with him. And I forget who the USC coach is, but he's sitting in the living room talking to Price. It might have been Pete Carroll. I don't I don't think it was, but it might have been a USC assistant. But they're talking to Price, and Eric Scott's in the kitchen. And every time the USC coach says something or says something a little bit off, Eric Scott would yell back into the living room, that's not true, or something like that during the visit. Wow. Like, this is a crazy thing I heard secondhand, but it's, like, just this incredible story. And I'm pr- probably getting a lot of it wrong, but that is, like, the quintessential, like, USC-UCLA recruiting against each other in L.A. story for me. Yeah. Just, like, what? How is that even happening? Um, so that was that was fun. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of good ones. We used to go to the all, the Army All-American game used to be awesome when they had a different dead period. So basically, if you've never been there, you go to the Alamo uh, the Alamo Dome and the, was it the Hyatt? The Grand Hyatt, I think, is the the team hotel, the media hotel. It's, it's, you can walk from the Alamo Dome. It's like right on the river walk. And after the game, it's like the dead period ended and coaches used to just swarm the lobby where all the players would be coming back after the game. So you would want to stick around after the game because every coach in America would be in there and all kinds of weird stuff would be going on. I remember Joe Mixon was a junior or something telling me like, hey, the Michigan guys just offered me. And he was like, he wasn't even in the game. I'm like, I don't think that's legal or whatever. (laughs) They're not even supposed to be talking to you, but whatever. Like weird stuff like that would happen. Steve Sarkeesian, when he was at Washington, had like a bus decked out like as an office or something parked in front of the hotel where he could pull recruits in there. You would, all coaches would get like different rooms up in the, you know, up in the different floors and bring recruits up there. That was always insanity. And then they stopped that. Like they can't do that anymore, but that was crazy. And then. One time I was covering the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, and this was right after like Ed Orgeron got fired at Old Miss, and it kind of showed me what makes like a really good recruiter. So I was talking to him. I went up to him and said hi, and like I don't know if you remember, he's like, "Oh, I remember you, Ryan. All oh, you doing, blah blah blah." And so super nice guy. Like he remembers everyone. So I think you have to be a politician on some levels to be a good recruiter because you have to remember everyone's family, their kids, or whatever parents. And, you know, he remembers me. We're talking and stuff. And Deshaun, uh, Deshaun, Deshaun, Deshaun Johnson. Was that right? Not Deshaun Johnson. Um, who was the, the really fast receiver from Cal? Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson. Why? Wow. Okay. Deshaun Jackson. Him and his family are walking by and screamed Ed. So he was, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to go to USC, ends up going to Cal. And they were just gushing over him. How And you could just tell the kind of relationship that they had. And like, this is a guy that didn't even end up at USC. So when you talk about like a really good recruiter, 
you have an impact on these people's lives and their families' lives. And I saw that from someone that wasn't even someone that ended up at USC, but you could still tell the impact he had on them when he was talking to them when back when he was in high school. So those are a couple of my stories. There's, um, there was a former UCLA assistant, I will not name the name, um, who hit on a recruit's mom on the in-home. <laughs> uh, they didn't get that recruit. Um, a, US, a UCLA assistant offered, uh, this one I think I can name, uh, Steve Broussard, I believe, offered the wrong offensive lineman at Jim Mora's alma mater. Um, uh, he, he had a, an offensive lineman in like one of the younger classes he was supposed to offer, and he just offered a guy who kind of looked like him vaguely. Oh, no. Um, and it was at Jim Mora's high school. Bellevue High School in Washington, so it was a source of embarrassment. Um, UCLA offered and took a guy in that same way back in the Durrell years. I won't name the name because I don't want to embarrass the kid, but that that was a thing that happened where they just offered the wrong guy. They didn't. They, and they, they, they honored they, it. They honored the scholarship because I think they were just a little bit too embarrassed to admit that that's what happened, and it was before – that was a little bit before you, it was really easy to drop guys. Like it was, you know, I, I feel like things shifted right around 2010 or 2011 where, you know, you, it, it became a little bit more cynical and guys got dropped a lot quicker. Um, I, I just don't think they were willing to drop him um, and take the embarrassment of admitting that they offered the wrong guy, but that happened in the Darrell years. Wow. Um, so yeah. Um, I don't know if those are funny for UCLA fans, uh, but they're certainly uh Certainly another, yet another excellent demonstration of why UCLA has had uh, such a tremendous 20 years. Well, his, okay, so his second point is if USC and UCLA were both ranked one and two at the end of the year, what would you two bet? Uh, like getting tattoos, having to do the podcast alone for a year, etc. Uh, well, Ryan wouldn't be willing to bet the second one because then it just wouldn't happen. <laughs> Um, I, I don't have any tattoos. Are you, a t- do you have any tattoos, Dave? Not, a, not a one. No, I wouldn't bet that. I don't care. Like I, I, I don't probably, I wouldn't, I don't think I would care enough to, <laughs> to bet. I don't something. think I would bet anything. Yeah. I, I bet something important. I, I sincerely would not care. I guess we would maybe have to do something for the show. It would, I mean, something funny, but nothing like life, or, you know, like life altering. No, I, I don't want a tattoo. No, I don't either. That seems like it might be painful. And as we all know, I don't like that. There's so many, like everybody has tattoos now. Like it's crazy. I know, I know. I don't, I don't, I don't really understand the body art, but whatever. It's not. And you're you're a millennial. Is that a thing? Like, do more millennials have tattoos? I would I think, think it's more of a Gen X thing, isn't it? Is it? Uh, I don't know. No, there's just I don't young, know. young people everywhere, man. They just have tattoos. I don't know. I don't know what it is with tattoos. All right. It's just, it's... So yeah, probably not bet much. Sorry, that's not very exciting. Um. For Ryan, do you think that having a new president at USC will impact football there? Would much change if the new president didn't really care about football, or would that just never happen? I think we, we talked about this a little bit. Um, I think it certainly could have an impact on football. I think Max Nikias was someone that liked celebrity, um, liked big names. USC's last two athletic directors were more faces, you know, known people, uh, you know, in Lin Swan and Pat Hayden, as opposed to established long-time athletic directors that were successful somewhere else. So I think that could have an, it could have an impact on that, that maybe if things aren't working out with Lin Swan, they bring in someone that's a more, um, you know, established athletic director somewhere, not just like a, 
you know, Litz one hadn't been around the program for a really long time. He was living in Pennsylvania. At least Pat Hayden was like around going to football games and stuff. So it's kind of a head scratcher with that one. And we'll see. Uh, I could, I could see that happen. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously it depends who they hire. If it's someone, you know, Clayton's like the super nice guy. I don't see someone coming in and not liking him, but they might not like the, the direction, the way the program's going. I don't know. So it certainly could have an impact, but we just don't know at this point. Yeah. All right. You ready for, uh, for Scott and Washington? Yeah. Another, that's a pretty long one too. We've had a lot of long ones today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm you had a couple the, uh, short ones first, and then you, but you were skating, and then now yeah. you're not. No, now I'm not. Now I'm not. Now the, the life is getting grinned out of me. Uh, Wilner article, UA, ASU, leaving conference and no rules in college sports. I don't know what that subject line means. Let's dive in. Hi, Ryan, Dave. Ryan slash Dave. One, last week when someone wrote you should have the Kenny Wheaton interception versus UW back in 94 – in your open, my PTSD of that play came back. It's still played at all Oregon home games and is known down there as, quote, the pick. That play was essentially the genesis of modern-day Oregon football. A lot of talk of genesis today, Ryan. Yeah. As the win propelled them into the 95 Rose Bowl, where Phil Knight, who by all accounts had a great time, after the game asked Oregon what he could do to help out the program. Their answer was, quote, write big checks, and $600 million later, here they are. I still have nightmares of that game, as UW had first and goal from the three with under a minute left to go, and All-American at the time, Napoleon Kaufman in the backfield. We could have told everyone on planet Earth the ball was going to him four straight times, and it wouldn't have made a difference, as he would have scored on one of them. Two, in Oregon State having more wins than UW since 2000, please let it be known for the record that not only did we have Rick Neuheisel as coach, who looks like Nick Saban compared to the next coach, who was none other than Tyrone Willingham, who in four disastrous years at Washington went 11-37, and 37, which is almost 30 games under 500. Ouch. With an 0-12 in there. Yeah. Oh, boy. Enough going down bad memory lane via the Wayback Machine. Now for my question. If the NCAA was to open it up for the players to be paid at whatever the open market would bear, as Dave supports – what would the long-term ramifications be? More parity? Less? Good for the game overall? Neutral? Bad? Um, I would say it'd be neutral for the game. Um, I don't think there would be more or less parity. I think the same people who are paying a lot of money now would probably pay a lot of money then, like, say, Alabama. Um, but I think it would be better for the players. It would feel more equitable when I'm watching it. I wouldn't have to kind of hold my nose when I'm watching it because it's my favorite sport, but... Look, if we're all being honest with ourselves, it's not great. There's a lot of not great things happening in it, and it would be great if we could at least say these guys are getting paid a fair wage for what they're doing. Um, that would make me feel better about the whole thing. I think it would make a lot of you know, people who do have to kind of you know, distance themselves to the, from the reality of what they're watching to enjoy it. I think it would help a lot of those people feel better about it too. Um, and that's just from a selfish standpoint, but I, I like to see people get paid for what they're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, I think it would be better for the personal aspect of the sport. Um, and I think for the game, I don't think it would be a bad or a good. I think it would be a neutral. I think it would have the I think the competitive balance would be similar because um, there's already haves and have nots. Um, and I think it might exacerbate some of that, but it might also not. It's hard to really know without knowing the design of the system. Is there going to be a salary cap? 
Are they actually going to audit these programs? Like, if they can do all of that, there might be more parity. I don't know. But I think at, at worst, it's a net neutral. And I think for the players and, you know, for a lot of the people around the sport, I think it would be a big positive. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, obviously we don't know what's going to happen. That would obviously change the landscape uh, of everything that we know and hold true and dear in our hearts about the sport. It would all change. I think the goal would be to be neutral and not, you know, I, I don't expect to make the game way better. You just hope it doesn't make it way worse. Um, I think you'd rather have a little bit more parity than a little less. There's already have and have nots. Um, you wouldn't want to make it like, it's crazy habit have nots where there's like three teams and that's it. Or one conference is the only team that can or only conference that can do anything. Like only the sec can win. Like it, that, that obviously would ruin the sport. Um, it wouldn't be supported like it was. So uh, I, that would be my, I think that have to be the goal and that's what would be my hope. But at, at this point you just don't, you just don't really know. Yep. And then, and then he says, okay. keep up the good work. You're in the home stretch. Only eight more weeks until fall camps start in August. Go dogs, Scott and Washington. Good stuff. Thanks, Scott. And uh, sorry to bring back painful memories. Um, we have one field goal blocking from Tom. Says, great work on the podcast, Ryan. Hi, Dave. <laughs> and this is a UCLA guy. <laughs> it's so good. I've Every really, time. I've like won over some of your Bruin fans, I think. It's great. It's great. Is that that just gotta make you feel bad that they would like No, it makes me feel great. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> they should just support you no matter what and just call me an idiot like all the time. No, no, I I, I appreciate this because it feels more loving. Okay. It does feel more loving. <laughs> you know, they understand me. They care. Right? Like obviously they care. Because they wouldn't yeah. they wouldn't do that if they didn't care. Exactly. He cares about you. Tom, uh, Tom from UCLA. Okay, Tom, I remember Tom, back Tom when Tom UCLA cares about me. He does. That's important. He's class of two thousand one. Yep. Uh, I remember back when Joe Ferrara, what is his Fourier. name? Fourier. Fourier. Oh, Fourier. Joe Fourier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was playing for the Bruins. They had him in the middle of the field goal block unit. And, and Joe Fourier was like 6'8". Yeah. They have, he sent a link to a picture, which we can't really do. Um, I also remember him getting flagged for quote unquote leaping and giving up an automatic first down. That's exactly the kind of thing that would prevent many of today's conservative coaches from bringing in seven foot ringers. And if they were a basketball player, wouldn't the scholarship then count against the football program's total? Don't see it happening. Keep up the off season entertainment, Tom, UCLA 01. And it was, yeah. So if it was a basketball player that was around for two years, like say they were on the team for two years, they could come over and play. It would be fine. But if it was a basketball player, like in a first or second year and they started playing football, it would have to be, he'd have to count for football. Yeah, and I think, like, I mean, there's some big walk-ons. I know UCLA has had, like, uh, I remember when I first started in school, and Tom, this might overlap with you. I can't remember if he was there still uh, in the earlier years, but John Hoffert was, like, a 6'10 walk-on basketball player, and he was probably, you know, he probably had a good three or four inches on the tallest football player at that time. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. It's, it's It sounds ridiculous, um, and... I can't see coaches going for it in any real way, but why not try it? It's not like you're like losing that much on a field goal block team anyway. I, I guess they're all probably worried that like something weird will happen and somebody will just decide to run it at that guy because he's in and they'll just score two points instead of one on a extra point or you know. Go he was in saying there that down. like if you if you get called for leaping, which you're not allowed to like leap onto somebody. I forget what the, the exact rule is, but then they got a first down out of it. So 
you could give up seven instead of three. Yeah, you're, but you're allowed to jump straight up and down. Yeah. You just have to, like, coach them, like, hey, don't leap. Don't do, you know, don't do something illegal. Just jump straight up and down and try to block this thing. Yeah, send, send a, like, a basketball player out there with super light pads and, uh, you know, a super light helmet and have them jump as high as they can. They've probably got, like, you know, a big, tall basketball player, somebody who's, like, you know, 6'10 to 7 foot. They probably at least got, like, a 35, 36-inch vertical leap. Yeah. So they'll get some air. Super so light helmet. I don't think that's going to go over about well. it. So, you, so your super light helmet probably not going to go over well. Probably not going to go over well, <laughs> given given literally everything we just talked about. <laughs> Dave's always looking out. For I'm players. always looking out. Always <laughs> for the players' well-being. Out for go out well-being. <laughs> Except when it's some weird nonsense gimmick, then safety goes out the window. Ryan, I want to see it happen. I want to see an entire basketball team out there trying to block field goals. And, and Dave loves conservative coaches anyway, so he likes, I you do. know, you I should punt on fourth and one from the opponent's yeah, yeah. 35 love and so things much. like that. Love it so much. Uh, All right, you ready for Nick? Sure. All right, question for Ryan and Dave. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. Quick question. David the lovable loser, Bruin Woods, name your top three worst head coaches you have had at UCLA in basketball or football since you enrolled at UCLA to today. And why? Um, so since I enrolled, Bob Toledo doesn't even count. I I was there for the start of Carl Durrell, and I was oh. there for the start of Ben Howland. So you're asking me, and so to lay it all out there for everyone, I have three football coaches. I have Carl Durrell, Rick Neuheisel, Jim Mora, and I'm not going to count Chip Kelly because he's not there, or he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's hasn't yet coached a game. And then for basketball, I have Ben Howland and Steve Alford. So if I am ranking those five and the three worst, it is. Mm, that's a tough one. <laughs> Rick Neuheisel is definitely the bottom. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I'm going, I think I'm going Steve Alford. And then I'm going Carl Durrell. All right. And then in the, the, the whole order is Ben Howland, Jim Mora, Carl Durrell, Steve Alford, Rick Neuheisel. Okay. And then Ryan, what is the top three worst scandals at USC since you enrolled at USC till today, and why? Wow. Okay, scandals. Um, man, what would be? So I think the Sark stuff was pretty bad. Like having to fire a guy, you know, fifteen games into his head coaching tenure, like that. That would probably be up there. Um. I don't know. If this the, is like this is like picking your favorite child, right? There's so many. Um, if you had like 75 children, right? If you were if you were like Octomom, you know, squared or something. Because uh, where does it? Where does that one? The the guy who jumped out of the apartment. What was that? I can't even remember this. That was oh, before that was Sark. okay. Josh Shaw. Okay, that was Josh that, Shaw. That's up there. Um, that would probably go that too. Okay, so Sark because he was like drunk at. A USC event, like speaking to alumni, and I talked to like the speaker, like a former player who was speaking before him, and getting like get his behind the scenes thing of. I mean, that was just insanity. So, and they had to fire him and all that stuff, and he sues the school. Like, I would say the Sark stuff, and they should have never hired him to begin with. Like, that was all. That that's pretty awesome. Like that that's that would be number one. I think the Josh Shaw stuff, which was if you don't remember, he was uh he was uh, I mean, and seriously, like you cover these kids. 
He was like one oh, of I the nice. Oh, I love Shaw. He was a really nice kid. Unbelievable kid. Really nice guy. No, what? Yeah, he was like you would see him at these summer workouts in a suit because he was interning someplace and working. Like he was a captain, um, and just made this horrible decision where, uh, like he jumped out of like the girlfriend's apartment. I forget what it was. Like, was there domestic abuse going on? I can't even remember. I think there was accusation, but I don't think there was. But there was like. But they it was were looked they were, into. I'm looking at the Wikipedia just so we don't talk insensitively about this. Domestic violence was looked into by police. However, no charges were filed. Yeah. So that leaves it in kind of that gray area where you just don't have any idea what actually. But there happened. might have been like some argument, and then like security was called, and he like kind of panicked and jumped out the window, and like, you know, tore up both of his ankles, and like made up this story. So I mean, this is. Uh, I would have trusted, like, if I had a daughter, his, I would trust my daughter to date. Like, that's, like, from just when I've known him, you know. And it was so unfortunate. He just made these really bad decisions. And, you know, from a captain of the team, goes out and says he, like, saved his nephew from drowning. And USC, <laughs> not doing a very good job. They they heard the story from him and decided to run with it um, and put it out there. And then everyone picked it up and became this feel good story about how he you know and it was like uh, that's when this is one of those things too why this is compelling is we're seeing programs and and schools and teams try to be their own media and this is a case where they went out on their own and just ran with a story didn't really check it and then figure it out it got out there and then the kid feels horrible and had no idea it was going to go like viral and everyone's like this is amazing you know like um when uh you know, when you have a blind long snapper in a football game, like everyone's going to pick that up. This was like everyone picked this up. You know, it went everywhere. And then it came out that it wasn't true and all this stuff. And it was like, it was insanity. So this was like a captain of the football team, like we said, one of the nicest dudes you could meet. And just, you know, it, it happens sometimes. People just make a series of bad <laughs> decisions. And then I'm pretty, that's my guess is what happened here on that one, Dave. All right. And then uh, what about Ray Ray owning the police? Uh, okay, which one was that? That was that was Ray Mal- Malaluga, yeah, Malaluga, where he he beat somebody up or whatever, and then he was quoted as saying, "I own the police." To the police, I don't remember that one as much. Um, but yeah, that, that's possible. I think um, Mar- uh, was it Mark? Um, why am I blanking? It was a five-star running back who Mark Tyler. Mark Tyler, yeah, uh, nice kid too, and got. Was like came out of a club, so he was twenty one or whatever. You know, he was coming out of a club and and get. You know, this is a problem if you're in in L A. Uh, TMZ could be there. <laughs> they were there, yeah. and he was like some I can't remember what it was. Straight ballers or like uh, it was something about money and and whatever. And like, it, yeah, it was pretty funny. So that was kind of a funny one. That wasn't much of a scandal, but that was um, that was interesting. I mean, if you want to talk about the the sanctions and the the Reggie Bush stuff, I mean, that went on for that. You'd probably have to put that number one. You know, I, I don't think that was scandalous as much around USC, but it was, you know, they got hit with these super harsh NCAA penalties that impacted the team. It still does, you know, over a decade. So that, I mean, that's a really huge one too. Are there any others? Oh, um, whatever reason Lane Kiffin had for wearing dark sunglasses and a hoodie on the sideline of the Sun Bowl. Yes, the Sun Bowl one. Um, so Lane Kiffin, like, I mean, Lane Kiffin, had a whole bunch just himself. Um, my favorite, like that one was crazy where he's coming with a hoodie and they, they basically just talk trash about the city of El Paso and 
their opponent, all that kind of stuff. That you know, that was that was insanity. Um, but the my favorite one of him was uh, so uh, Khaled Holmes was a center for USC. He was hurt. Uh, USC was struggling. I think this was I think it was two thousand the year he got. I think it was the the year he ended up getting fired, um, where they came in preseason number one and all that stuff. Um, he, I believe, I think it was the same year. Anyway, he making this big deal about not talking about injuries. And my beat writer, Dan Weber is not like the, he's not trying to pin him in a corner or anything like that. He's, you know, he's usually asking pretty nice stuff as far as questions go. The, the offense was looking better at practice one day and Khalid Holmes had come back to practice. So Dan was going to ask like about, you know, him returning. So like, like in a positive way, it was like, Hey, you know, it looks like the offense was flowing better. Is it really helped that, that Holmes was back? And it was like the first question out of the gate. And I think Lindsay theory was, was there. She was with at scout at the time filming it. So I think she was the only one that was filming this and or I think USC was filming it, but they never put it up. So like 10 seconds into the, the scrum Lane Kiffin just like looks like a, a kid who, I, I mean, just, got caught doing something terrible was so pissed off and just I'm out of here and just and just walked off because Dan asked him a question in his mind that had to do with injuries and in Dan's mind it was about trying to say something positive about the offense looking better it's nice that that Khalid Holmes is back uh snapping the ball and he just that was kind of maybe the middle of the beginning of the end there were so many different things but that was like my favorite where he just stormed off in the middle just post practice interview innocuous question and he does that yeah that's incredible yeah there was there, there's there's so many more that i'm like not remembering right now yeah there's a lot there's some great ones there was ones that were just like back to back to back i mean just some of the hirings and the way lane kiffin was hired there's just so many like that was a crazy time in my life where you just your head was on a swivel because you just didn't know what was going to happen there was just oh, oh crap another like drop everything thing happened that i got to cover in whatever time we didn't even talk about Pat Hayden, like everything that happened with him in the last year and a half. He was at USC. Oh yeah, I mean that's it's nuts. Just, it's all great. There was it's a scandal great. back, like I think when Mike Garrett was hired, there was so he was a former Heisman Trophy winner. He's black athletic director at USC. I think he was the first black African American athletic director. There was like a suit a lawsuit going on about discrimination back in, I think Mike McGee was the athletic director. And some people felt that USC hired uh, Mike Garrett because of that lawsuit. And it was like, well, we just hired a, you know, African-American athletic director. What do you want? Um, So there was, there was that kind of stuff going on at the time. All all kinds of crazy stuff, man. I don't know. It's great. Yeah. All right. This is, uh, this is John and Brea. Let me read this one. Please. Conference of Champions! Exclamation point. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Another week, another championship for the Pac-12. Arizona wins the NCAA women's golf title. Congrats, Wildcats. Bear down. The Pac-12 continues to be a championship mill, cranking out titles in sports that very few people are watching. And Larry Scott and the Pac-12 presidents must be using a, quote, dollars per championship calculation to justify his salary. Using this calculation, a women's softball title will make Larry the lowest paid commissioner in Dennis Dodd's current group of four plus one model. Uh, Question. Which Olympic sport not currently being offered as a scholarship sport in any Pac-12 school would you like to see added in an effort to increase the chances of more Pac-12 championships? Curling? Uh, 
Dressage? Well, I don't know what that is. I think it's dressage. Dressage. It's the type of like riding, like riding horses that's for show. Oh, that's fancy, John. I don't know what that is. Team handball, archery. Thanks, John in Brea. So uh, I have some thoughts. Um, I don't think uh, any Pac-12 schools besides maybe Stanford would be any good at any of these. Um, They're not particularly West Coast sports. Like you need something that's water-based or beach-based or very outdoorsy. But like curling, that is the province of all upper Midwest people. Yeah. Like you actually need to be a little fat to do curling. Like I think it helps. Um, <laughs> handball, handball I could see. Handball I could see. If they want to start a kickball league, I could see the Pac-12 dominating that. I used to play in a kickball league on the beach. It was fun. I like to kick a ball every now and then. Yeah. It was more like yeah. for drinking, but it was fun. Yeah. I think kickball is the way to go. Kickball or dodgeball? Yeah. the You know, so to be fair – USC added women's lacrosse a few years back and they were like instantly in the top 25. Like they hired like the national team coach or something. And that's typically like a Northeast sort of sport. Um, oh, once, once football goes away, lacrosse is becoming our next big sport. Apparently that's it's what, a lot of fun to watch. Actually. I used to watch it like back growing up in Massachusetts. They had like an indoor lacrosse, like professional league. knew nothing about lacrosse. Still really don't, but I, I, I would go to a couple of games for some reason. It was kind of fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's it's higher scoring than a lot of those other kind of field sports. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's great. A lot of behind-the-back shots and stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And they um, have a big stick. They can hit people with it occasionally. It's great. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what other – what about, like, wrestling? That, well, that's – I mean, it wouldn't it – wouldn't That's be already like, at some schools, though. It is? Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and wrestling is another one where you need some of that upper Midwest in you. I think yeah. to really dominate. Yeah. And by that, I mean bulky and corn fed. Nice. But congrats to the uh, bear down uh, Arizona women winning the uh, golf championship. Yep, exactly. I think we congratulated them last week. Um, all right. This is from Rob. Whoa. Response to best Pac-12 road trips from last week. I'm getting all the long emails. Hi, guys. I'm a big fan and really appreciate your diligence and insight. The breadth of your knowledge on all things Pac-12 football is very impressive. I'm grateful that you two have been providing the weekly fix all of us Pac-12 junkies need until the season actually begins. Ass kissing over. I just finished listening to last week's podcast and I'm disappointed in David's lack of familiarity with Seattle's public transportation system. (laughs) I was too. I'm very disappointed in that. When asked what the best Pac-12 road trips were, you reasonably stated that the big cities would be easier than the college towns. However, when ranking the ease of access to the stadiums in each city, you excluded Husky Stadium from the top of your rankings. To be fair, I think you clarified that you simply weren't familiar with the route and therefore chose to exclude it. But for the sake of this email, I'm shocked and appalled by your ignorance. (laughs) Currently, there is one light rail in Seattle. It starts at the airport, travels through downtown, and ends at Husky Stadium. To paint the picture of how freaking convenient it actually is, here's a literal picture of how close the light rail gets you to the stadium. Listener, this picture depicts the light rail getting very close to the stadium. In all seriousness, it re- it's really easy, cheap, and great way to get to the stadium. Given this traffic situation in Seattle, it would be faster than driving from the airport or downtown 90% of the time. 
For any traveling fans of other schools, I highly encourage them to come to a game at Husky Stadium. The setting on Lake Washington is beautiful, the tailgating scene is great, and the general game day atmosphere is first class. If you come in November, don't. Then ditch the rain and head to Schultz's, the Ram, or the Duchess for your pre-game festivities. Disclaimer, you will get yelled at the Duchess. You will get yelled at in the Duchess, but it's usually all in good fun unless you're an Oregon fan. Keep up the good work, guys. You're both killing it. Go dogs, Rob. Good uh, stuff. Yeah, Rob. So one thing I've learned over the last several years of doing this show, I'm never going to be shocked or appalled by Dave's ignorance. I'm ne- that's not going to happen. <laughs> so don't worry. Um, you'll learn. You're probably new. Uh, no. And I had no idea the light rail went right there. Uh, I I covered it a couple of years ago when USC went up there. We did a whole video uh, feature on the the sailgating experience, you know, the tailgate, the, the boats coming in. And it was it was so much fun. Um, you know, I loved it up there. So, yeah, Dave is an idiot. I don't know what he's talking about. The Moron. boats are great. Absolute you can take a Moron. boat there. You can take a boat. That's fast, right? Boats are fast, notoriously fast. That's why we haven't advanced in transportation since the age of sail. Yeah. <laughs> like extremely fast. Like you can get from Europe to the United States in three months as long as you don't get scurvy. Yeah. Well, you have to lots of uh, oranges. You need your citrus, right? Yeah. You need your citrus. That way you can maintain your teeth. Right. And, and you got to bring a 12-year-old boy general with verve. you. Right? <laughs> yeah. As long as you don't get caught in the doldrums. And then you'll... Then you'll just be stuck there for a bit until the wind picks up. Um, you might like this. There was on uh, oh, crap. I think it was on A and E. It's called The Terror. Do you did you see that show being advertised at all? Is this about what is this about? So is it was about a the French Revolution. It, no, it was an English. I believe. Yeah, I think it was an English um, expedition. So they were doing a lot of polar expeditions. Oh, my sister was telling me about this. Yes, she said it's very good. Yeah, I've watched the first couple. I have it taped, and I wanted to see. But it was, I mean, just to see what they had to do back back in the day to try to explore. Uh, you know, the pol- like they were going up like Nova Scotia up above there or whatever, and like. The polar, re- you know, trying to find passages through to see if they could go through, and basically you're sailing along one day, and then you're just iced in, and they just pack it up for eight months and wait for it to melt. <laughs> it's like insanity, the kind of stuff that was going on. You're the second person who has specifically recommended this to me. Like they're saying, like you should watch this, so I think I'm gonna have to. I want you to, because I'm gonna watch it, and then I would love to get your. You would have different, like, oh, you you would give me some insight that I wouldn't have normally from watching Great. it. Uh, but yeah, so the terror. So there's two ships basically that were on this expedition that um, apparently it didn't go well. I think it's based it's based on like true stories, but uh, I don't know all the nuances if it's all true. Okay, cool. Uh, one last thing we were talking about the age of sail. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, last one from Anthony. Hi, Ryan. it's just podcast question. So, hi Ryan and Dave. Dave, what did you think of the Houston Rockets missing 27 straight threes? That was incredible. Did you watch that? Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was – I mean, I knew there was like a bunch, and then when you hear like 27 straight was like, like – I thought it was 28 because they were um, 6 of 13 at one point, and then I think they finished the game 6 of 41. Oh, just that's just a lot of missed shots. you know. And when yeah. you watch the first half, it was like they couldn't do any – I mean, they were getting every offensive rebound. They were getting turnovers, and then they just shot well, themselves out of the game. Well, the thing is, that's just luck. Like, that's just bad luck. Um, because, like, uh, 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 one of the big, like, basketball statistician guys, Ken Pomeroy, says that, like, 
what percentage you hit from three, you can't actually affect that. What you can affect is how many shots a team takes from three with how you defend them. But the actual, like, whether or not it goes in, it's not really something you're affecting a whole lot um, on average. Um, And certainly not to the tune of defending every three perfectly where you're making them miss 27 straight. That is, like, some of the most incredible variance in, like, a decisive game that I've ever seen. Like, you don't usually see that in one of those decisive games. Like, that's a random occurrence on, like, a, you know some weird game in February, not like the most critical game of the season for that team. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure it was in their heads by about halfway through that streak of missed threes, but um, no, that just, that takes incredible bad luck, just incredible bad luck. And you're, you're assuming they're all like open looks, like sometimes they're not right. Sometimes they're a little more contested, which you, you know, there'll be a lower percentage. Regardless, missing 27 straight, when you're an NBA player with a hand in your face the whole time is difficult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like we're talking James Harden. Like we're talking one of the better shooters, better scorers that the league's seen in the last five years. Just, it doesn't, it does not compute. It yeah. does not compute real missing. That was crazy. Uh, then he says, Dave, can you explain your star Wars film rankings? Whew. Wow. This is, this is taking a turn. Did you go uh, see, you didn't see uh solo. Did you? I have. I have seen Solo now. Oh, I, I um, want to, but I haven't. I've just heard bad things, but I still want to see it. It's not bad. Um, so I'll start with my review of Solo. Uh, it's not bad. It's not great. It's fun, and I would say very dumb. Like, it's just kind of a dumb, fun movie. It's worth watching. Um, not worth thinking too hard about. Um, the guy who plays Han Solo is actually pretty good. Shockingly oh. good. I was expecting it to be terrible, and he was fine. Um, the guy who plays Lando, really good. Um, most of the actors are actually pretty good. Um, the story is, bleh, who knows? Uh, the plot is, eh, whatever. It's shot really dark, so make sure you're in a theater that's uh, lit well, because if it's not, or if the screen's a little dark, or if they accidentally put the 3D filter on the 2D camera, you won't be able to see anything. Like, it's really, really, like, shot dark. Um, so keep that in mind. If it opens and it looks really, really dark to you, go talk to your, uh, theater operator and see if you can get them to fix it. Um, but the movie itself, like the first like 20 minutes, they don't make a whole lot of sense. It's kind of weird. Uh, the, it seems like really strung together. There were a lot of production issues on the movie and for all of that, it turned out fine. It's a fine movie. Um, now the larger question of the rankings. So here's what I posted on Twitter. Okay. I've got my 10. So number one is the original Star Wars. I'm willing to hear arguments for Empire Strikes Back. It's fine. Okay. Um, I think the original was, you know, it just was the first, and it was uh, really good. I think it's maybe the tightest single story of the entire Star Wars thing. Like, it, that would have been a fine, if there would never been another Star Wars, that was a fine movie by itself. And I don't know that any of the other uh, Star Wars movies can necessarily say that. Um. Then I go Empire Strikes Back, and then in a controversial pick, I go The Last Jedi, number three. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, then I go Rogue One. Then I go Return of the Jedi. So Return of the Jedi is all the way down at number five. Wow. So just I, I understand that I hate the Ewoks. Um, then it goes Solo. <laughs> and so the cutoff. Solo above the, the – wow. Yeah, so I've got Solo after Return of the Jedi. So that's my top six. And the top six is critical here. 
because the top six is where I say these are all watchable movies. The bottom four now are the unwatchable garbage that you would have to pay me to watch again. All right. Okay. So number seven is Revenge of the Sith. So which one was that? That was the. That was the last prequel. It was the one that was where making Darth they, Vader. Yeah, where Obi Wan cuts Anakin in half. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and then he becomes Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, then I've got number eight, and this is my other controversial pick: The Force Awakens, which I thought was absolute rubbish, just complete trash, like just the most derivative, crappy, like J.J. Abrams bullshit I've ever seen. Um, and I have more extensive thoughts about that. I will record an entire podcast. Okay. Um, then number nine, The Phantom Menace. Uh, and number 10, Attack of the Clones. You can take those final two in any order you want. Don't care. <laughs> they were just trash. Uh, th- I put the Phantom Menace ahead because I thought the pod race in Phantom Menace was maybe the best single thing about any of the prequels, even though it was meaningless and stupid. It was like at least kind of exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, and so that elevates it above Attack of the Clones, which was like just pure, just pure shit. Yeah. And I don't mean to curse, but we're at the end of this podcast. No kids are listening anymore. No. It was pure shit. The uh, so okay so the one, um, the Revenge of the Sith. I, the part I hated the most was like when Anakin loses to no that well, part where he does the no. Yeah, well, it's like they're fighting and it's like equal and stuff, and then then Obi Wan stands on a rock that's like three feet above oh, Anakin. And he has the high ground, and he he has the high ground. Like obviously, I'm unbeatable now, and Anakin doesn't <laughs> listen to him and gets all his limbs cut off. So no, no, no but like if I if I'm even like. A couple of inches like up from you, you actually can't beat me in anything. <laughs> like that's the way fighting works. <laughs> Not the that these whole guys goal can... of a fight is actually to just get further up on a hill yes. from another person. Like if they were, this was like you know World War One trench warfare or something. Like maybe it would mean more. But these guys jump out of spaceships and shit, and like so you're standing on a rock, so now you're unbeatable. That that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't hold up as a as a as a real tightly logical statement and then but he does then cut him in half so you know maybe he had a point who knows <laughs> um, the... so yeah that that was that was a dumb it was a dumb movie um the only thing that makes it redeemable for me is it's very operatic it's kind of epic that one uh just because it's finally telling the story that you were watching those stupid prequels to see you know how does he turn bad and what happens and there were a few well shot scenes in it like the, the thing where he's walking into the Jedi Temple to go slaughter the kids, it's not – that whole thing is done so poorly, but that shot is cool. Like there's just some – there's some neat stuff that you were uh, – that you'd been waiting for I yeah. think for a while. And it pays it off in kind of a half-assed way, but it at least does so. Yeah. Whereas the other prequels were just unre- like in- unredeemable from that standpoint. Um, but the top six, all watchable movies. Um, I think – the Last Jedi, I might even be underselling it. I really liked it. A lot of people didn't um, for various reasons. Um, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was maybe the best, like, it, it was the best. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was the best movie I've seen in the Star Wars stuff since Empire. I think it was very similar to Empire in terms of the themes it approached. But I thought it approached kind of the whole story behind Star Wars in a more... I don't know, in a more interesting way than any of these other movies have done in quite a while. So, yeah. uh, but overall, Solo is fine. You should go see it. I will. Um, it's 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 okay. 
it's nothing it's nothing bad it's nothing great it's just it's a finish movie good way what? to spend a couple hours on a summer afternoon what about okay so the whole like the movies i i agree with your top movies and stuff and uh you know i don't think i have strong opinions about the bottom ones like that you know didn't really like them but the the whole basis of star wars where you're trying to get the plans um you know in an when it seems like there's enough technology that there's a, a way to do it besides like physically bringing a disc, you know, like a floppy disc. Yeah, there's a, there's there's a there's a real like lack of technological apparatus in place here, right? Yeah. Like we're to believe that they have like all this crazy stuff, but like somebody who uses the force can't just go like read somebody's mind for these plans, <laughs> like. Or you can't transmit them. I mean, I guess you just got to suspend your disbelief on these things, but right. yeah, I mean, if you if you subject this to too much uh, too much actual scrutiny, I mean, right. it doesn't really hold I, together. This 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 family of you know incestuous space lords who uh, space wizards who <laughs> go around uh, blowing up moon sized battle stations, it just doesn't hold up yeah. logically. Here and in the, the real world, and when you think about it, like when the stormtroopers come down to Tatooine and they're like. Look, droids, and they're holding up some like piece of machinery or something. Like, who who lost them? <laughs> something like R two D two or C three was just like a bolt or something. Like a you yeah. know, shit falling off you as you walk it's, around. It's like what? Also, like, like those dudes, like those stormtroopers, they're wearing like heavy armor covering their entire bodies, and they're in the desert. Like, can we show one of those dudes collapsing? Like, and yeah. just like. Needing some water? And the does armor anybody drink water in those movies? The armor doesn't help because they get hit by, like, you know, slings in, uh, in yeah, return. what is that armor designed to do? <laughs> it doesn't, like, deflect the bolts of the blasters, right? Right. Like, they're, the, 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 the guns are firing at them. Like, the, the, the lightsabers are cutting through them. So what is the armor designed to do? Yeah, if it can't start, stop the Ewoks like bow and arrows and stuff, then what is it for? Yeah, they're literally slinging rocks at them, and it's knocking them over, and they're dead. Yeah, um, there was. It kind of reminds me, like, obviously, love the movie. Uh, you know, grew up watching those kind of things, like Indiana Jones, like one of my favorite of all time. And you're, are you a Big Bang Theory guy or not really? No, no, no. Like, I, I find it kind of funny. I like the science and stuff, but the in one of the episodes, um, Sheldon, who's like the genius, his girlfriend, who's also a genius. She Sheldon wants her to watch uh, Indiana Jones, and she's like, "I don't really like. I don't really care." And and he's she's like, "There's a huge plot hole." He's like, "What are you talking about? What could it?" So she says, "I don't know if you heard this before. Um, Indiana Jones is inconsequential to the movie. Like it doesn't matter what he does. If he wouldn't have done anything, the exact same thing would have happened. Like the Germans would have got the Ark, they would have opened it up and melted their faces, and it would just be done. And so it just wouldn't be in a." <laughs> A warehouse in in the United States somewhere it would just be in the desert, you know, on an island, and uh, and it just like blew shells, <laughs> and it actually caused all this like controversy. Like people talked about it. this was like a few years ago, and people like talked about it, debated it about like really if that was the case and all this kind of stuff, and like how Indiana Jones really wasn't a great guy, and like you know, um, he might have saved Marion from the Germans, like they probably would have killed her otherwise. Um, but that's about it. So basically she was like, Indiana Jones did not matter in the movie at all. And I thought that was kind of funny. That is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Making your main character essentially inessential for the plot. <laughs> um, all right. I guess we got one last one. Ryan and Dave, can you name 
your top three podcasts at the moment. Thank you from Anthony. Because we're not, we haven't been off the reservation enough. So let's. Yeah, let's go deep. Um, I like the dollop. It's a history podcast. Cool. I got. I should check that out. Comedic history podcast. Uh, the shutdown full cast remains my favorite other um, college football podcast. Um, there's no one else I'm really like. Oh, a new episode dropped. I've got to listen to it right now. I, I like Chapo Trap House, which is um, a full leftist podcast that would probably infuriate, you know, 40% of you if our, um, if our, if our uh, audience is representative of the United States. Uh, but I find it funny and good. Uh, so, yeah, those are probably my three right at the moment. What about you? I'm not. I've not been listening to a ton this like since the off season. Um, I've I've started listening to Freakonomics a little bit more. Um, I kind of like those. Like there's some these businessy ones that are interesting. Um, it's like my first like non sports podcast I really started to listen to. I think my wife had it on, so I was like, oh, oh, this is kind of interesting. Um, there's that, and then I'll I'll listen to like uh, the Audible and like uh, Solid Verbal. Um, I'll listen to some kind of various USC ones every once in a while, but I'm, I've not been listening to a ton of podcasts recently. I would say, you know, obviously the podcast of champions, number one, but you know, outside obviously. of that, yeah, you should, uh, you should give the shutdown full cast a listen. I, you know, I've done that a couple of times and it's, it seems like it's, you walk right into inside jokes, like right away. And I, like, I don't know, even following some of those guys on Twitter, like, <laughs> it's like some of the stuff I'm like, man, I don't even know what the hell that guy's talking about. You know, do you know yeah, what I mean? You've, you've got to be really, I don't, yeah, I mean, some of this, I think you'd have to get into, like, the preview shows, I think. Like, they're they when they start doing their season previews, that's probably peak, because they'll, like, sometimes touch on actual football stuff, but it's mostly just absurdist, like, very vaguely themed around college football and the teams. But, yeah, I, I mean, I can see that. Like, it's, it is, there's probably a pretty high barrier to entry if you're not actually listening to it every week. Yeah, and I think it's like you got these guys that I don't even think they introduce themselves. Like they just assume, like it's like the same four guys that are on like a couch, like talking shit, you know, week after week, and they don't even say like who they are. They're just like talking, and you're like, I, uh, well, I sometimes sometimes the show will be on for like six minutes before they even say their names, <laughs> and it's just great. I I'll, think it's I'll, what we should aspire to. Yeah, like just not introducing the show at all. I'll do it. Again. There's only two of us. Like there, there's like like four personalities or something right and uh, i need to i'll 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 try it some more and what's the other one yeah. what's the history one the dollop i'll try that the dollop is uh, legitimately really good um i can give you specific recommendations on shows there uh, it is i'll say this um i have never laughed harder during a podcast the oh there was a recent one there was a very all right so i'm going to give you guys a recommendation just a second. Let me pull up the most recent one that I really, really enjoyed. Have okay. we talked about football in the last like half an hour? No, no, we're not going to do anymore. <laughs> um, all right. So everyone, when you get a chance, download episode 323 of The Dollop, the 1908 New York to Paris car race. Um, this had me like nearly peeing my pants for a good hour um 
And it's got a, I don't know if anybody out there knows uh, the comedian James Adomian. He's a guest on it, that show. And it's just, whew, it's really funny. Strongly right. recommend it. All right. So it's called The Dollop. The Dollop. The Dollop. And I think that episode 323 would be a great introduction episode for people. That's with uh, with Dave Anthony and Gareth something? Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. Okay. All right. I put it on my... Uh... My app. We'll see. Uh, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, and so they um, they do have uh, just a fair warning. Fair warning for you, Ryan, and maybe some more of our uh, you know people who lean a little bit more conservative. There is a little bit of a leftist bent to their politics, and certain shows I would recommend avoiding if you're you know don't like certain things challenged. That one doesn't have any of that. It's just kind of straight hilarity the whole time. So okay. I recommend it as an introduction. Nice. All right. Um, cool. Well, I think that's about it. <laughs> that was great. We still went two that hours. A, that was great. That was a good palate cleanser there at the end. We got to just talk a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with uh, college football, which is unlike the rest of this show, which really didn't actually have much to do with college football this week. Did we talk about like a single player who currently plays for a college football team? Um, no. That doesn't seem likely. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Yeah, what are you going to do? It is May 30th. We went, we went two hours again? Two hours again. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you like Bob's Burgers? I've had it recommended to me as well many times, but I've not watched so it. So good. It is so funny. They play it on, like, Comedy Central at 10 at night now, if you want to, like, before you go to bed. But uh, very, it's very well done. So good. Okay. I will check it out. Check it out. Let us know, people, if you like Bob's Burgers. But just really, Yeah. Oh, if you want to be horrified, everyone, uh, watch The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. <laughs> it's extremely good. Extremely good. Uh, and it'll also uh, make you want to curl up into a ball and die. Really? Wow. Okay. I don't got Hulu. I have to get Hulu, I guess. Yeah. Um, I recommend, like, sign up for whatever, like a free trial. I'm sure you get, like, a free month. Wait till season two is over, which will probably be, I think, next month. And then just binge the first and second season. All right. Yeah. Recommend. Sounds good. Okay, well, that's uh, that's your buddy, David Woods. Uh, I'm uh, your other buddy, Ryan Abraham. And together we're the Podcast of Champions. We appreciate you listening for another two-hour show in May where there's really nothing to talk about in Pac-12 football, but we still find a way to go on for 120 minutes. So hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk to you next time.